Hey y'all, it's Janice here, aka J Nice on the mic, and this is Dirty Diversity, a podcast on all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is called Dirty Diversity because in this day and age, diversity has become sort of a dirty or bad word that causes a lot of knee-jerk and negative reactions. The goal of this podcast is to dissect diversity, or lack thereof, inside and outside of companies, and also to discuss current events around equity and inclusion, as well as discussing solutions for creating a more cohesive world and workplace. My name is Janice, aka J Nice on the mic. <laughs> that was and still is my moniker on YouTube. Some of you may know I started a YouTube channel almost 10 years ago to discuss topics around race and black identity, and it seemed to really resonate with my audience. I'm also a TEDx speaker, a professor, a diversity and inclusion consultant, and a writer with a PhD in organizational psychology. Welcome to Dirty Diversity, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Hey y'all, Day Nice on the mic, back with episode 27 of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. It's been a long time. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just playing around. It has actually took a week off last week. Um, as some of you may know, especially those who are connected with me on LinkedIn or Instagram, I took a week off last week. And I also decided to just take a week off from recording the podcast because since I started this podcast in February of 2020, um, I have not actually taken a, um, a week off. So I've been going hard for 26 weeks um, in the midst of a global pandemic and um, being the busiest I've ever been in my career. So I just thought I, I should take last week off. I took a week off and I'm refreshed. Um, I got back this Monday and I kind of tried to ease my way into the week and it was a lighter week for me. This upcoming week is going to be um, pretty busy. I have some really cool stuff going on. I'm actually doing a Facebook Live with Calvin Martyr, who is the individual who created um, the Blackout Coalition. So he invited me on his platform to do a Facebook Live to just talk about um, black liberation, black wealth, things like that. Also on Thursday, I'm super excited because I'm collaborating with Google. I am going to be um, speaking with uh, the audience of um, individuals of entrepreneurs at Google with Johnny Bailey, who is a change maker and change agent. He's one of the Google digital coaches in DC. So um, just connect with me again on my social media if you want to learn more about that. But I'm excited about this upcoming week. I think I have a couple of trainings and workshops scheduled as well. And I've been working on the book. I think I shared with y'all this. Um, I always forget which audience I share things with because um, I've recently, you know, started recording my YouTube videos again. And um, I've also, um, so you know, I, I'm like, which audience did I share this with? But I'm, I'm just going to say this here in case I didn't mention it. But 
I plan to um, write, a, or I'm in the midst of writing a second book that I'm hoping um, I can release on October 6th is the goal, which is Fannie Lou Hamer's birthday. It's a Tuesday. Um, so that's my goal. My book is going to be on uh, very specifically on racial equity in the workplace. So I'm so excited. Um, I'm hoping that by the end of this month, I can um, finish, I'll finish writing and then, um, yeah, hopefully that'll work. I need to take it to the editor and do some other things. So, um, that's what I've been working on lately. But, um, so last week, because there was no uh, podcast episode, I did not get to introduce Black August. So we are in Black August. Black August is underway. Black August, you could kind of think about it as a um, a month dedicated to celebrating and elevating um, black liberation and um, black people who fought against white supremacy throughout history. So um, I actually wasn't aware of Black August and didn't know that it was um, a thing until these last few weeks and someone that I follow, not, I don't quite remember who, but someone that I follow posted about Black August. So I just wanted to read a little bit about it. So there is a Instagram page called Black History, and this is where I'm reading this from, but, um, uh, let's see, let's see. So Black August originated in the California penal system to honor fallen freedom fighters. Excuse me, Jonathan Jackson, George Jackson, William Christmas, James McLean, Katari Golden, Jonathan Jackson was gunned down outside the Marin County, California courthouse on August 7th, 1970, as he attempted to liberate three imprisoned black liberation fighters, James McLean, William Christmas, and Rochelle McGee. Rochelle McGee is the sole survivor of that armed liberation attempt. He is the former co-defendant of Angela Davis and has been locked down for 47 years, most of it in solitary confinement. George Jackson was assassinated by prison guards during a black prison re rebellion at San Quentin on August 21st, 1971. So I think that... In the late, um, and I'm reading again from this um, Black August graphic, in the late 1970s, the observance and practice of Black August left the prisons of California and began being practiced by Black slash New African revolutionaries throughout the country. So I think that that pretty much explains the origins of Black August, but I'll try to find an article and put it um, so y'all can read more about it. But so I wanted to celebrate Black August and I've been trying, I'm trying to, um, you know, post more content on my Instagram that is catered to educating myself and others about um, those who work toward black liberation. So look out for that on my, if y'all are connected with me on Instagram, if you're not, I encourage you to follow both of my pages. I have, um, Janice J. Nice is my main personal page, and I post a lot of educational content. And then um, the Dirty Diversity podcast is where I post um, when new episodes drop. And I actually need to do a better job of posting on there. 
Um, so, uh, I wanted to, you know, in today's episode, I wanted to talk really and get into, um, what I've been seeing lately on social media. So a couple days ago, I saw this article about Robin D'Angelo, who some of you may know is the author of the book, White Fragility. She is, you know, she's been propped up as the quote unquote expert on anti-racism and racial equity, um, outside of, uh, Ibram Kendi and I don't know if uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, excuse me, is considered a racial equity expert, but I think it's really Ibram Kendi and uh, Robin D'Angelo. But, you know, Robin D'Angelo's book, um, when it came out, it was a New York Times bestseller, still on the New York Times bestseller list. And in this article, they talked about how, for those of you who don't know, Robin D'Angelo is a white woman. And the article talked about how um, when people looked into how she's using the, the money she's made from these anti-racism workshops, um, she hasn't been, I guess, 100% transparent. And it doesn't seem like much of the money she's making off of the $30,000 that she charges for workshops goes towards supporting the marginalized communities that she supposedly um, advocates for. So I found that to be super interesting. I'll put the article in the show notes if y'all want to read it. Um, but so then I posted something on my LinkedIn and um, this amazing uh, woman that I've connected with on LinkedIn named uh, Teresa Robinson, she is like my friend in my head. We're connected on LinkedIn. She's She posts a lot of amazing content. And she posted the article. I reposted it. And then I posted it on my, um, on my Instagram. And then... Um, Coincidentally, I saw just yesterday another person that I follow on Instagram posted about Robin D'Angelo, how she makes all of this money. And, you know, I had a conversation that I wanted to share with y'all a couple days ago that sparked me to want to focus this episode on this particular topic. So I was talking with a close friend of mine um, that I went to school with. She's from St. Lucia. We always have really good conversations about just our experiences as black women and her experiences as a black immigrant woman. And um, we were talking about somebody in our field. And for those of you who don't know, I am in the field of industrial organizational psychology, which is kind of like business psychology, right? So it seems like, you know, one particular person that we're both acquainted with, white woman, um, all of a sudden started kind of, um, I want to say she kind of like, made herself out to be this racial equity and anti-racism expert, which is cool. You know, everybody's seeing the light in as of June of 2020. But what's interesting is that my friend said that she's kind of checked out her previous content and this particular individual has never really spoken out against injustice, marginalized groups. Um, so it seemed to us on the surface that um, it, it seemed a little bit performative. Like, you know, people are doing things now for clout. People are calling themselves anti-racism experts for clout. And I I would never say that a, a white person is an anti-racism expert. Um, and I, you know, I wrote something on LinkedIn that I wanted to share with y'all. And I feel like, and this is a, <laughs> this is a Janice Gassimasari original quote, but I feel like, marginalized communities as a as a member of a marginalized community we are rarely 
ever seen as experts of our own oppression. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you look in, um, if you look on Google Scholar or the scholarly journals, what you find is that if you look at a lot of um, these journals that examine diversity, equity, and inclusion, and oppression, and injustice, a lot of the experts or the people that are seen as experts are not people from marginalized communities. So it kind of brought me back to this individual who um, I see who's in my field who seems to be profiting off of the moment that we're in where everyone is is really interested in racial equity and anti-racism. And it kind of bothered me because I feel like, you know, I, I'm still pretty young and I, I wouldn't say that I've been doing this work for decades because I am, you know, young in my early 30s. And um, so there's people who've been doing diversity and inclusion it, since the 90s, since the, I don't know if in the 80s it was a thing, but there have been people who've been doing it since the 90s. So, you know, in a professional setting. So I just, you know, I always like to, I always encourage people to look at p- other people's receipts. If someone calls themselves an expert at something, I always like to say, well, what evidence supports that you are an expert? Um, so you know, I personally, I just don't think it's a good practice to hire white people to conduct anti-racism workshops. I just don't think that that's, um, that's beneficial. And I just, I think it's very problematic. I think any sort of anti-racism workshops, in my personal opinion, should be at the very least led by black indigenous people of color. But I strongly suggest they should be led by black people. And the reason for that is because I think that there is a very, very unique um, experience that Black Americans go through. And who better to lead conversations and facilitate discussions on the very unique experiences and dynamics between Black people and other groups in the society than a Black person themselves? And I understand Every um, every group of color has their own unique experiences. Asians in this country have had very unique experiences. The Latinx community has had very unique experiences. But I think that no other experience really encapsulates oppressive oppression than um, blackness and being black. And, and I think anti-blackness is rampant around the world. So I really think that your anti-racism efforts should be led by black people. Um, I po- so I posted this on LinkedIn. Um, someone um, wrote underneath my post kind of saying, pushing back a little and saying, you know, anyone of any race, color, creed, whatever can lead um, diversity and inclusion efforts and blah, blah, blah. I think this person misread my post. And I said, you know, I want you to reread what I said. I didn't, I wasn't talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals. I don't think that you, there, there's a particular race, I think, and I'm connected with, um, and I have friends who are white, who are, who have served as uh, diversity heads within organizations. And I think that they're very strong at what they do. However, I think when we're talking specifically about anti-racism and racial equity, I think that any sort of anti-racism workshops and trainings should not be led by white people. I think they should be led by people of color, but more specifically, I do think that they should be led by black people because if we want to dismantle oppressive systems, the way to do that is to understand our 
anti-blackness because every sort of oppression is based on um, this fear of this anti-blackness that is rampant. So once we are able to deconstruct anti-blackness, I feel like once you liberate black people, all other groups will then become free. So I think that it's really important when you're looking at equity and how to create environments where everyone is um, treated equitably and their unique challenges are taken into consideration, I do think that you need a Black person at the helm of those discussions. So, you know, I um, I think a lot of people just want the glory, um, especially in this moment. Um, they want the glory, they want the shine, and they don't actually contribute to the groups that they are supposedly advocating for. And I think Robin D'Angelo is an excellent example of that, where, you know, in the article is basically saying she says she's donated her funds to these different groups that support anti-racism efforts. But when they went to her website, it looked like she had kind of modified the website um, to to the point where it wasn't clear if she had been donating, you know, and um, someone had said underneath my LinkedIn post that, you know, they find not only Robin D'Angelo problematic, but also Tim Wise and Jane Elliott. Now, I've met Jane Elliott. Um, Jane Elliott is like an OG in the game when you're looking at white people who've been doing this racial equity work. She was on Oprah in the 90s with the brown-eyed, blue-eyed study. Um, I really appreciate all of the work that she's done, and I know that she's really, she's really in the game doing work. I don't personally know what Jane Elliott is doing as far as like where she donates her money. But I feel like her intentions are more pure than, you know, and again, I don't know a lot about Tim Wise. I don't know a lot about Robin D'Angelo. I actually have Tim Wise books that I purchased years and years ago. Um, But, you know, I came to this kind of, I I don't want to call it an epiphany, but I started thinking about it. And I was just like, why are you as a white person who's benefiting from your white privilege and benefits from a white supremacist society now further profiting off of oppressing marginalized groups? You are making money. Robin D'Angelo, according to receipts, makes $30,000 per workshop. That is completely mind-boggling. Um, I do not make $30,000 per workshop, and I should be seen as a black woman living in America. I am the only one who's an expert at my own oppression and an expert at my own experiences. No white person will ever understand what it means to be a person of color. So I think that when you're having discussions on how to dismantle oppressive systems, you first have to be able to listen to the experiences of your marginalized groups and people who are members of um, these underrepresented groups that don't often get the opportunity to use their voice. And I don't like saying give a voice to the voiceless because I don't think we're voiceless. We have a voice, but our voice has been, historically, our voice has been stifled. So, you know, when you're, if you're thinking about hiring somebody, and this is not like a shameless plug, but I do do anti-racism workshops and racial equity workshops, but whether it's me or somebody else, and um, if y'all want ideas outside of me, (laughs) if y'all want ideas of who you can hire um, to educate your employees on racism and anti-racism, I wrote in an article um, a month or two ago 
um, with recommending seven black diversity, equity, and inclusion educators who specialize in racial equity and, you know, racial equity guidance and anti-racism um, for you to enlist if your organization is looking for someone who does that work. So I'll put a link to that article in the show notes below. But, you know, I really, I just wanted to talk about this in, in today's episode. I understand, you know, we are a capitalist society and um, many want to profit off of, you know, what's going on and, and that's just what happens. I've seen this influx of people on LinkedIn now put anti-racism, anti-racism, racial equity, all of that stuff. And I wasn't even showcasing. These are, I've been doing um, these racial uh, equity dialogues for the last few years and I never advertise them as much because I found that when I went into these universities, when I went into these companies and I said, you know, these are the workshops I offer, they were the less popular workshops. And they were like, "Mm, we don't want the racial equity. We want the emotional intelligence. So I wasn't promoting that. And now I see people who haven't even been shooting in the gym. And um, for those of y'all who don't understand that reference, it's from a Rick Ross and Drake song. Um, Basically, if somebody wasn't shooting in the gym, that means that they weren't really putting in the work. Um, They just kind of came for the shine. Once they see you're shining, we all know those people who um, they weren't really with us, supporting us, but now that we're getting the shine, then that's when they kind of come out of the woodwork. So you weren't with us shooting in the gym. You weren't really about that racial equity, anti-racism life, but now that you see that it's it's like what everybody wants, now all of a sudden everyone is an anti-racism and racial equity workshop. So again, I think it's highly problematic if you are facilitating racial dialogue or facilitating anti-racism conversations that are led by non-BIPOC people, particularly white people. You know, your conversations about racial equity should not be led by white people, point blank, period. Um, That is just my opinion. And I know that that's the opinion of many people. And I'm actually thinking of, you know, turning this into a a longer form article, perhaps. But um, also, I just wanted to say, you know, you... You shouldn't, um, this is not to say you should lean solely on your BIPOC employees for education. Um, Not everyone wants to be an educator, and you shouldn't expect the Black, Indigenous, people of color in your workplace to teach you about everything, to teach you about hair, to teach you about this, to teach you about that. Not everybody wants to do that. So um, I think that, you know, it's, in the moment that we're in now, I just want to caution you against the snakes in the grass and the people that are coming out to make a profit and just want to capitalize off of the moment and haven't really put in the work. So I think that is where I'm going to leave today's episode. Um, Yeah, I think that that's it for today. Thank y'all so much for listening. I know this one was a little bit all over the place. I always have notes, but I kind of, because I'm um, very passionate about this topic, I kind of went off the cuff a little bit. But um, again, I hope y'all really enjoyed this episode. I loved... To, I always love to, you know, do these these episodes. I really love the opportunity to voice my opinions. And um, for those of you who don't yet um, follow me on YouTube, I just put out 
several new videos, so I'll leave a link to my newest video where I talked about colorism and how I benefited from my proximity to whiteness being a lighter-skinned black woman. Um, so I talk about that in my newest uh, YouTube video. I poured my heart and my soul into that video, so I'll leave a link in the show notes. Also, for those of you who don't know, I recently released a book called Dirty Diversity, same name as this podcast. A link to purchase the book is in the show notes. It's really a practical guide. It's a super quick read to help you um, create a more equitable and inclusive organization. It's very, I, I feel like I offer, I try to offer really, really practical steps and tips and things you can integrate into your work place, even in a virtual climate. So my second book will be focused specifically on creating a organization that fosters racial equity. So I'm going to get into a little bit more of my experiences and things like that, um, especially what I've learned in just these three, two months since June. I've probably conducted 30 anti-racism and racial equity workshops. So I've learned a lot, you know, in just these three months um, that business has revved up compared to the last two or three years that I've been consulting. So um, without further ado, that's where I'll end today's episode. I love you all. Thank you for tuning in, and I will check y'all out in the next episode.